0: You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love.
1: If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't
2: ask on the Savage Lovecast.
3: I ran out of pot last week. Happens. So I walked to the pot shop near my house that didn't used to happen. There wasn't always a pot shop near my house. I went in masked because we have a mask mandate in Washington state and I am not an asshole. And the nice masked woman behind the counter recognized my voice and kind of freaked out at me a little bit, which is fine. I love having fans and fans who tell me how much this show means to them while handing me a giant bag of pot chocolates. Those are my favorite kind of fans. And then the woman at the pot shop told me she'd moved to Seattle at the start of the pandemic for love. And I braced myself. I thought I knew where this was going. I was putting my advice hat on. But I didn't need to. Things were going great with her pandemic girlfriend. Sometimes those impulse purchases, moving to a place you've never been, to be with someone you barely know, at a time you can't get away from, sometimes those impulse purchases work out. So I told her I was happy for her and her girlfriend and... Relieved to hear that the pressures of the pandemic didn't screw things up for her. And then she said, well, the pandemic had screwed something up for her. Shibari. She's a rigger, a rope bondage enthusiast, a rope bondage person. And it's been sad for her not getting to tie people up, not getting to go to bondage parties during the pandemic. And the woman at the pot shop asked me if I had a frequent flyer number, a customer account for rewards. And I said I didn't, but I thought my husband's boyfriend might. So we looked up his number and he did. And she credited my purchase to his account. Live in the moment. That's what they say, right? been hearing that all my life. Live in the moment. But to live in the moment right now, these days, can be kind of exhausting. There are lots of shitty moments coming at us seemingly faster and faster over the last five years. But walking home from the pot shop last week, I was fully appreciating that moment. Those moments, that little sequence of moments. I was in a pot shop. I ran into another queer person. She brought up her girlfriend and her kinks. I brought up my husband and his boyfriend. And it all felt totally normal because those moments are now normal. So normal that we hardly notice them. But if we don't take a moment to appreciate those moments, how things have changed for the better, we risk missing out on the lesson that Progress has been made. Men have husbands. Some of their husbands have boyfriends. Legal pot shops exist in 19 states and the District of Columbia. Kinky people feel comfortable sharing that fact with someone they've just met. Ten years ago, we didn't have pot shops. I didn't have a husband. I had Terry. We weren't married, so that's better. We fought for that. Shouldn't take it for granted. And the person working in the pot shop that day, ten years ago, minimum wage in Seattle was not $15. She's getting that at least, hopefully more, plus tips and health care. We fought for that shouldn't take that for granted. I got home feeling pretty good about the moment I was having and full disclosure, I hadn't even opened the pot yet. And then I had a very different moment, a moment more in line with the moments we've all been having over the last five years. I looked at Twitter. Fucking Texas. They did it. Texas did what I warned you a few months ago here that Texas was about to do. Texas effectively banned abortion and put a bounty on the heads of anyone who helps a woman get an abortion in Texas. And then the Supreme Court didn't do what the Supreme Court could have done and should have done and would have done if Donald Trump hadn't been able to appoint three anti-choice justices to the court, which Hillary Clinton warned us he would be able to do if he won in 2016. And a lot of people on the left accused Hillary of fear-mongering, and she was right. We should have been afraid we should have been thinking about the courts. Right-wing Christians weren't in love with Donald Trump in 2016. They looked at Trump, held their noses, thought about the Supreme Court, and voted for him. Then he won, and they fell in love. Because it's power they love. Power over others. And when power is married to cruelty, that hits the right wing in their G-spot. My point is, we fought for choice, but we took it for granted choice and the courts. Now we got to fight for both again. And I got to be honest here. I'm at a loss having a moment I try to open the show every week with something amusing, uplifting. And when I talk about politics, some constructive suggestions, but this week reading the news out of Texas, I'm not sure what to say. Vote the Republicans out. Republicans in Texas and elsewhere continue to make it harder to vote at all. And Republicans are making it easier for themselves to overturn or ignore the results of elections. They don't win. Or I could pause here to call them out on their hypocrisy as if they listened to me, I guess, or call them out on their hypocrisy again. But I'm done pretending that this is really about abortion. I'm done playing along with their framing, not about babies. If they cared about bringing down the abortion rate, they would do the one thing – We know works make safe, long lasting birth control methods available to all. They don't do that. They're opposed to that. And they always have been the fact that they don't do that gives away the game tells us everything we need to know about their motives. It's not about babies, not about heartbeats. They're not anti-abortion. They're certainly not anti-abortion when it comes to their own pregnant mistresses. They just want to control women's bodies again like they used to be able to. This is about punishing women for believing their bodies are their own. It's going to be a long time before we can write this. So vote when and where you still can and be prepared to get out there in the streets and fight. If they overturn an election, our side won, and maybe take a moment to donate to one of the groups, raising money to assist women in Texas who need abortion care. But again, it's not abortion. They really care about still, Offering to help the women they're trying to punish and control and terrorize. That'll piss them off. That'll feel good. But I gotta say, I feel right now the way I felt in 2004. It seems like ancient history. Not that long ago. In 2004, when anti-gay marriage initiatives passed in 11 states. I am feeling despair. But we fought back. And we won. The lesson there? this ain't over. We can fight back. We can win. We're going to have to fight back. We're going to have to win. And we will. And won't that be a moment? All right, coming up on today's show on the micro free edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my as and ads, and on the Magnum version of the podcast that you can subscribe to at our new website savage.love. You can also find your way there from savagelovecast.com, but we have a new website, a new and very beautiful website savage.love. You will find the Magnum podcast and be able to subscribe to it. The Magnum is twice as long, more guests, no ads. We so appreciate all of our Magnum subscribers. Magnum subscribers also get to join me every month, first Thursday for sack lunch and try their hands at giving advice along with me. And you can give the Savage Lovecast as a gift, the Magnum Savage Lovecast at savage.love. And this week, the special bonus content for Magnum subscribers Lena Doon from Ask a Sub is back to talk about CBT, erotic massage, and her new advice podcast. And one more bit of business before we get to the show. My new book, Savage Love from A to Z, comes out later this month. A lot of you have been pre-ordering the book, and I really appreciate that so much. If you haven't pre-ordered it yet, shame on you, but there's still time. Go to Amazon or your local independent bookstore, even better, and pre-order your copy of Savage Love from A to Z now. Everything I've learned writing Savage Love over the last 30 years distilled and packed into one beautiful little book with new illustrations from Joe Newton. All right, all that said, let's get to your calls.
1: Hey, Dan, this is a 28-year-old bisexual male calling from Denver, Colorado with a sex success story. So the other day, my partner and I, who is a female 28-year-old bisexual, had a date night like we sometimes do. What we'll do is make a comfy nest in one of our beds and hang with molly and cuddle and love on each other and talk about our feelings and bond and have pretty kinky sex too throughout and my biggest fetish is ass play giving and receiving and i have loved how much in our relationship i've been able to make that something she enjoys too so this particular night we were loving on each other being extra cuddly and playing with our bums And recently, I had decided to buy a 12-inch double-sided dildo so we could both penetrate each other with it. Towards the end of the night, where we were pretty sloppy and getting tired, we decided to play with the dildo, and we started by my partner putting it in me deeper and deeper. We wanted to see how deep it could fit. She starts putting it almost all the way in, and we take a break for a second and talk to each other about our feelings. And a few minutes later, we realize we can't find the dildo. After searching for it for a few seconds, we realize that it has gone up all the way inside of me. My partner, who is a nurse, has me get on all fours and tries to digitally extract it for a few minutes to no avail. We start becoming very worried. It's 5.30 in the morning. We are not ourselves and are ready to pass out. And now we're thinking we have to go to the hospital. So one last idea she had was to have me go sit on the toilet and try to expel it, which I do. For about 15 to 20 seconds, I'm sitting there, unable to push it out, and I am scared. I am terrified that I'm going to have to go take on thousands of dollars of medical debt and have such an embarrassing story, all while being physically exhausted. But after 5 to 10 seconds, I feel this just great whoosh out of my body and this large sound of something clunking in the toilet. And I look down, and I see a blue double-sided dildo. We are static, we are overjoyed, we are exhausted, we go to sleep. It was one of the closest calls I've ever had in my life. And honestly, once I knew I could push it out, I just wanted to put it back in because I've never had something that big inside me.
3: Let's just maybe take overtaxed frontline healthcare workers into consideration and not lose things in our asses right now. You mentioned having to show up at the hospital, having to show up at the ER to have this dildo That you lost track of when you were talking about your feelings. I know how that is. Been there. You talk about how that you would have taken on medical debt. You would have been embarrassed. You would have overwhelmed or potentially wound up in an overwhelmed hospital where they would not have been able to tend to your packed ass. I'm not saying don't put things in your ass. Everybody, please. I'm a very pro. Put things in your ass. Podcast here. Just be careful about the things you're putting in your ass right now. You don't want to be the asshole who shows up at the ER that is overwhelmed at the moment with idiotic, unvaccinated COVID patients and, yeah, overtaxed frontline healthcare workers. So, yeah, success story. You pulled the dildo out of the jaws of defeat, out of the clench of your ass at the last minute. So, yes, qualifies as a success story. But Also, a cautionary tale for everybody else out there. This could have ended very differently. So, folks, be careful about the giant things you're putting in your ass. Flared bases, people, flared bases, and then you won't lose the dildo.
4: Hi, Dan. I am in my mid-20s, cis woman living in the Southwest, bisexual, I guess. I broke up with my boyfriend of two years, about six months ago it hasn't been the cleanest breakup that I've ever done and as the dumper I feel a lot of guilt and shame for you know continuing to have sex with him and spend time with him and be confusing emotionally after the breakup we recently decided to not have any contact with each other and I think that's that's good I want to do what he wants and needs you know in order to heal and I'd love us to be friends one day but for my own sake I'm having a really hard time moving on because I feel like the reasons I had for breaking up with him aren't valid and I'm not sure that I'm going to have a partner that is ever going to match up to him he was just really kind and loving and we got along well and we were good partners and I think he's funny and handsome and you know he's one of my favorite people in the world but something just didn't Feel right for a really long time and it just felt like we weren't on the same page because there was just something off with me and just felt it felt wrong but I didn't have great words for it and so it feels hard to justify it to myself or other people when I don't have something concrete to point to my mom continues to ask me all the time if I made a mistake I don't really think I did but at the same time it's hard so I have a couple of questions that kind of come with all of this which is like why can't you get yourself to love someone that's good for you in the way that they need to be loved? And then how can I pursue new relationships in good faith if I don't even know how to put into words what went wrong with my last one? How do I know that I'm not making a huge mistake or made a huge mistake? Already made it. Is it valid to end a relationship for no good reason? And is there a way, slash, do I even get to, like, stop telling myself this story where I'm a villain and like a person who hurts other people and just, I just don't know how to look at it and how to make it a nice box that I can learn from.
3: Your mom may be right. You may have made a mistake. What does that really mean though? When people say that to someone who broke up with a person who seemed to be a good person, seemed to be right for them. The implication is that you've walked away from the one. Your one and only chance to find true and lasting love. You fucked that up. You dumped that guy. You broke his heart. And you'll never meet anybody else ever again in your life who comes close. And that's just bullshit. That is not true. This can be a mistake. The feelings you had when you were in this relationship. The feelings of ambiguity. That weird tingling sense of dissatisfaction. Maybe if you'd spent another year in the relationship, you would have gotten past that and been able to commit to this guy that your mother really loved and wanted to see you with. Or maybe not. Maybe your relationship spider senses were tingling because you needed to end this, which is what you did. But let's just accept that it could have been a mistake. What does that mean? I mean you have to take him back? No. Does that mean you'll never meet anybody else ever again who comes close or could even exceed this guy? Be someone that you don't have those feelings of ambiguity about. But I'm here from the future to tell you that any relationship you're ever going to be in, however, right that person is for you, however much you love them, however committed you are to that relationship, you will still sometimes have those feelings of doubt and just feeling ambiguous about the relationship and wondering if. You made the right choice, and sometimes in dark moments you look back over the course of your life and you pick out people that you were with before you met the person you're with now, before you committed to the person you're with now, and you think, ah, the road you didn't take, the choice you didn't make. You will always have regrets about this relationship. Maybe with some distance you'll also have some clarity about why you ended it, why he wasn't Not the one, there is no the one, but not the dude that you were going to round the fuck up to the one. But don't let your current conflicted feelings that are being stoked by your mom lead you to believe that you've made some fatal error here. Even if it was a mistake, it's not a fatal error. You will meet other men. Who knows? Maybe in a few years you will meet this man again. And you might feel differently about him then. You are young. So is he. That is a thing that has happened to people. It could happen to you. Don't encourage him to think that's a possibility. You already kept fucking him after you dumped him and broke his heart and you filled him with false hope. Not good. Not a good thing to do to someone that you're ending a relationship with. But you never know. So I guess I'm just telling you to be a little bit zen about this. Maybe it was a mistake. Time will tell. Even if it was, we all make mistakes. They're rarely the end of the world.
0: Hello. I'm a 51-year-old cisgendered female living in the Rocky Mountains. And over the last couple of years, even just slightly before COVID, trying to mesh with men my age has been disastrous, just disastrous. I'm close to being a family therapist. I feel like I'm a good communicator and definitely growth-oriented person. And I've just been meeting a lot of men in my age range that are just absolutely terrible to deal with. It ends up with ghosting and all kinds of disrespect and issues and I decided to opt for maybe seeking to date a younger person and I've tended to date younger but this man is much younger he's 33 he's amazing and he's the most amazing attentive lover he worships me like a goddess but my issue is going forward I want him to have opportunities, possibly, to be with someone his own age, and I'm struggling with it, even though I know many men who have dated and even married much younger women. Is there a chance that I could have a future with a person as young as that? He's literally 18 years my junior. I'm a nice-looking, youthful woman, but I do struggle with making sure that when I'm 60 and he's 42, that this isn't going to be weird.
3: The president of France, Emmanuel Macron, has been with his wife, president of France, age 43, has been with his wife, Bridget Macron, age 68, for a long ass time. So there's a very public, high profile example of an age gap relationship with a younger man and a much older woman that works, that still works. They still seem to be madly in love. You're stressing about a future. And you're projecting yourself decades into the future. You could have a future with this guy. But, but what does that mean? Does that mean you can be together with him for all eternity? No, because at some point, one or the other or both of you is going to drop dead. So what do you do? You walk away from someone? You feel this close to you feel this kind of connection to because when you game it out decades into the future, it's hard to picture how it's going to work. Well, you'll find out how or whether it's going to work in the future in the future and it may work for five or 10 years and then you may part ways, but what relationship isn't that true of it may work for five or 10 days and then you may part ways. There's no, guarantee. And looking at a relationship, any relationship, even if you guys were born on the same day at the same time, trying to game out whether this is going to work for one, two, three, four, five decades, that's a stress test that very few new relationships bear up under can bear the scrutiny of the pressure of you like this guy. He's really into you. You're really into him. It's working. Will it work forever? I don't know. There are no guarantees. Does it work for now? Sure. Can you enjoy a future with this man? Yes, absolutely. Only the future will tell how long that future lasted. Whether you made it to the ultimate finish line for all relationships with... A visit to the funeral home and one of you in a casket, congratulations, until death did you part, you were together, you win. Or whether in two years or five years, you part ways, time will tell, only time will tell. The relationship can be a success if it ends up with somebody in a box at a funeral home. The relationship can be a success if you two are together for a time, part ways, and remain friends and friendly Even if you don't stay in each other's lives, if you can look at that time you spent with a person and feel better for having spent that time with that person because you learned things about yourself, because you grew, because you had experiences, that you, the memories of which you treasure and value, yeah, it was a success. It's an impossible standard. It is, again, a stress test that no relationship really can bear up under. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Fuck this guy. Keep fucking this guy. Keep hanging out with this guy. You have a future with him. He's going to be there tonight. He's going to be there tomorrow. That's the short term. Whether you have a long term future with him, only time will tell.
5: Hi, Dan. I'm in my early 40s, and I was married really from the age of 18 up to about 35. And the relationships I had after that for, you know, but close to the last decade now, um, have been really, really tough because I was really naive and inexperienced and included a lot of infidelity. So I find myself now really traumatized by the idea of someone hiding something from me or lying to me. In this last relationship that I started over two years ago has been absolutely wonderful. I've learned so much from my trauma, and my experiences, and I've been so clear about my boundaries and my triggers, including specifically that hiding things or lying is a huge boundary for me. It's not a three strikes, you're out. It's a one and done kind of situation for me. Well, I am polyamorous and my partner has not been prior to our relationship, but he is super GGG and has been willing to play with other couples together. He always struggles with um performance issues when we're playing with other couples. So I have told him, why doesn't he try taking Viagra to help him until his head is more comfortable in the game? And he went on and on and on about how that was just not for him. And it was not something he was open to trying at this point. So this weekend, I was looking for something that was both of ours, that was in a specific bag, and I saw this bag sticking out of his ba- of his backpack, and I thought, oh, that's that bag that I need, that's both of ours, and of course, that's not what the bag was. It was had a bunch of five packs of Cialis in it, and so I was really, really thrown off by this. I feel like he's been hiding it from me, and it feels like deceit and lying turns out he's been using it for over a year which makes me think of all the times where he was hiding it and keeping it away from me and you know just like basically deliberately not wanting me to know about this now I get that people are allowed some privacy in their lives but given that I have used this specific example in the in my past I've told him a situation in my past where this really triggered me when my partner was lying about this and hiding using Viagra specifically I've been so clear that this would be really traumatizing to me. I'm super triggered. I am freaking out. I know this relationship will never be what it was, but I really worry that I'm going to fall into this horrible cycle of doubting every single thing he says to me now. Dan, am I overreacting or did he cross a boundary that is now going to have a massive impact on this relationship? What should I do?
3: I don't understand why... You find this traumatizing or triggering. You can't have post-traumatic stress disorder from some men in the past in your life lying to you actively or passively about taking Viagra. It is a medication that some men take. Not everyone is comfortable being open even with new or newish romantic partners about every medication that they're taking. People have a right to some medical privacy just as people have a right to a zone of erotic autonomy. And you should be able to wrap your head around why a guy to protect his own ego might not want to admit that he needs Viagra or needs Cialis even to a girlfriend, someone relatively new in his life who has advised him to get his hands on some. Do you have no moral imagination? Can you not project yourself into his experience and empathize? Can you not be gracious about this? Like, he, you didn't need to lie to me about this. But I understand why you might have. Some guys take Viagra for the confidence boost and they want the person that they're with. They may, you know, their ego may be wrapped up and the person that they're with believing that they didn't need Viagra or Cialis or any of the other ED meds because, because they didn't because their dick works just fine without help. And it's silly. And guys who need ED meds should take them without Shame and feel free to be open about them, particularly with a partner who suggested it, but he wasn't there yet or wasn't there with you yet. Didn't feel safe sharing this with you yet. And I think your over-the-top reaction, I think your overreaction to discovering that this guy that you advised to take ED meds had taken your advice kind of proves – that he may not have been safe opening up with you in particular about this. I get it. I get it. Uh, I mean, I don't get it. Some guys lied to you in the past about taking Viagra. All right. I don't understand why that is so traumatizing. And now he lied to you about the exact same thing, even though you, I guess, told him he should take Viagra and also told him you'd been lied to in the past about this particular drug by other guys. And that upset you. Hugely. I would ask you why? Why that upset you as much as it did back then when other guys lied to you about this thing they didn't need to lie to you about? Look, people have insecurities. You you say you have no tolerance for lying or hiding things, things particularly that don't need to be lied about or hidden from you. But people are frail and, and people are insecure. And sometimes people hide something, even from someone they love, even from someone they care about. Sometimes people lie and hide things from someone because they love them so much, because the stakes feel so high. And if you can't get past that, if you can't forgive a guy for that, if you can't understand why he might've kept this from you for as long as he did, Do him the favor of ending this relationship. Don't torture him by dragging it out. Go find some other guy who already is taking ED meds and will be open with you about that fact or doesn't need to take them. For now. But, Jesus Christ, lady, chill the fuck out. In a way, you need to take... Yes for an answer. Finding the Cialis, you could have gone to him and he could have said, oh, I'm sorry. I should have told you. I went and got a prescription. I've been taking it for a while, but uh, I just like felt weird about having to rely on it. And you could have laughed it off and said, well, with me, you didn't have to feel weird about it because remember I suggested it. And then you could have sat down on his big fucking hard Cialis enabled dick and gotten past it. And done the thing that people have to do over and over and over again in all long-term relationships to make them possible, to make them go, and that is to forgive. And if not, forget, shrug the fuck off. You should be able to shrug this the fuck off. If you can't, well, you should break up with him or he's going to shrug you the fuck off soon enough.
6: Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old queer poly person in new york my poly situation is that i'm married and living with my spouse of over five years i currently have a girlfriend of uh, like seven or eight months and before my girlfriend i had a serious boyfriend for a few years me and him are more like friends now my question is actually more about my parents so they do not know about me being poly or even really being clear, uh, which essentially means I've been keeping the majority of my adult life private from them background around them is that they are their politics are super disgusting they're like right wing trump supporters, which alone makes having a relationship with them really stressful um, and now there's this added layer of them not being vaccinated, so it literally doesn't feel. <laughs> safe to visit. So anyway, my girlfriend has asked me if I would go with her to visit her family for Thanksgiving in Ohio. Her family seems super cool. They're all vaccinated and I think it would be like a really fun, special thing to do with her. So my question is, what do I say to my parents about why I won't be going to Thanksgiving? I've thought of a few different lies that I could tell, which is what I guess I've done in the past about... (laughs) my life but I'm also wondering like is now the time to start telling some truths I don't know how to figure that out but (laughs) it stresses me out and it's really like the constant hiding of things is kind of exhausting
3: you could continue to hide you could wait this out unvaccinated Trump supporting parents that's a problem that'll solve itself in time but You shouldn't have to hide. Hiding is exhausted. And what do you gain by it? To keep your parents in the dark about your life, to hide your sexuality, to hide your relationships from them. You really have to wall them out. You have to shut them out of your life. In a sense, you have to reject them. And you're doing this because you fear what? You fear your parents rejecting you. You fear the fallout of coming out to them. You live with the fallout every day of not coming out to them. Coming out to them means a big explosion <clears throat> all at once, huge explosion. Not coming out to them, you kind of get the same impact that that big explosion might have if it leads to a rupture in your relationship. But it comes in dribs and drabs. It comes in little explosions over a longer and longer period of time because you fear instantaneous estrangement. You achieve the same degree or level of estrangement. Why? Why bother? Tell your parents the truth about who you are and who you love. And you're a 25 year old grown ass married woman. You have a spouse. You don't have to go home for fucking Thanksgiving At some point, as an adult, you will start hosting Thanksgivings, creating your own holidays. At some point, as an adult, you make your own traditions. I believe you have reached that point. You don't have to make excuses about not going home for Thanksgiving. Tell your parents, you're not vaccinated. I don't feel safe coming home for Thanksgiving. That's one out. If your parents live long enough to get to Thanksgiving, or you tell your parents, look, I've been hiding some shit from you because I don't know how you're going to take it. I think you'll take it badly, but you don't know who I am. And that's fucked up that we're in this relationship that you're my mom and you're my dad and I'm your daughter. And I'm so afraid of you that I've hidden who I am from you. And then shift gears. Like I tell queer kids who are in a position where they can safely come out to their families, shift gears, stop living in fear of your parents' rejection Don't fear their rejection. Make them fear yours. Tell them, this is who I am. You have to love and accept me. I'll give you a year to freak out. Ask me any rude question you want to ask me. Blow up at me. We can have long, you can try to talk me out of it even. And then after a year, if you can't love and accept me, you know when next Thanksgiving rolls around, if you're still here, if we're not onto some other variant that's wiping out. Trump supporters who refuse to get vaccinated in red states, all right, maybe I'll come home for Thanksgiving then, once you can love and support me and treat the people that I love with kindness and compassion. And if you can't do that, then I'm not coming home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or christenings or weddings or funerals, yours or birthdays, anything. Because why would I subject myself to that? You're my parents. You're my past. You are the past. I am your child. I am your connection to a future, to the future. You should want to be in my life. And to be in my life, you got to love and support me. And if they can't, if they won't, enjoy Thanksgiving at the Girlfriends. Hey, Dan.
7: I live in Toronto, Canada, on the 20th floor of a condo uh, downtown. I walked out on my balcony today in the afternoon and uh, looked over the side, and a few floors down from me, there was a woman masturbating. So I told my girlfriend, I live with my girlfriend, told her she came out and saw it because it wasn't it wasn't like the moment just struck her. I need to make that pretty clear. This woman was completely naked, laid out, had a toy with her. This was a process. she was doing this. She chose this moment, this place to do this on her balcony. so uh, I you know, I brought my girlfriend out, she saw it jarring and then we stopped looking but we started talking about it and just just sort of the sort of the ethical implications of it if this had been a guy doing it i think more people because def people definitely saw this it wasn't just us two o'clock in the afternoon surrounded by by condos i think honestly obviously a, a safe assumption is that she chose to do this deliberately so that hoping people might be seeing why is it that if that was a guy doing that the police would almost definitely be called. What is it about when a, a guy versus a, a girl doing that? It's automatically seems more aggressive and creepy as a guy doing it versus a woman doing it. And then the other uh, ethical debate, I've heard you talk about people living their kinks out in public. Like a, a sub being walked by their dom in the grocery store, and how that's exposing people to their their kink. Uh, but you had a gr- very nuanced conversation how it's not, but they're not harming anybody. Nothing really explicit is happening. And, you know, having to have a conversation with your kids if they see it isn't the craziest thing. So it was a good nuanced conversation I heard of podcasts ago. The thing is, though, this was her balcony, so you can kind of say, okay, it is her balcony, but it is in the middle of downtown, surrounded by condos. She likely is doing this to be seen. What are the epo- ethical sort of implications of that? Is this something that is is really bad for her to have done? What would you say to somebody? who called in and said that this was a kink that they had and wanted to do it and they were going to do it. Would you recommend they do it on their balcony? And I guess uh, as a side note, if anybody calls in this week with a sex success story about masturbating on their balcony in hopes that other people would see, you can call them back and let them know that it was mission accomplished.
3: My grandmother's condo when I was a child, my grandmother was kind of not a very nice person. She had a lot of grandchildren. We had to go to her condo. She had white shag wall to wall carpeting and white walls and a million grandchildren. And we weren't allowed to touch anything because we would leave a mark. My, my grandmother was a monster. I, I won't go into it. I just bring up my grandmother in her condo because I remember once when I was like, I think 11 or 12 years old, sitting in my grandmother's condo in the living room, not being able to move and looking out the window at a hotel few blocks away where I could see right in the window and there were two men fucking and I was 11 or 12 years old. They forgot to close their curtains and a little pre-gay child saw something and thought, huh, that's an interesting thing. (laughs) This is pre-internet pornography. Like there wasn't a lot of access to images of men fucking men when I was 11, 12, 13 years old. And, I treasure the memory and I'm grateful for their indiscretion. All right. The ethical implications of this. Yeah, it's not okay. But I wouldn't have called the cops. You wouldn't have called the cops. What makes this a little different, of course, is that it was a woman doing it. That's kind of a black swan event. When you see people masturbating in public, exposing themselves in public, it's almost always men who are doing that. It doesn't mean it's okay when women do it. It's just different and often less threatening when women do it. Most men who expose themselves in public are trying to elicit some sort of panic response from the people that they're exposing themselves to on street corners, on buses, in windows. They're trying to make someone feel uncomfortable and unsafe. And that's part of the thrill for them. They're not just rubbing one out in a semi-public place where they might be seen. They're kind of cornering someone with their dicks. And then guys who are, you know, rubbing one out in a place where they won't be seen or unlikely to be seen and really can't threaten anybody kind of get lumped in with the guys who are seizing opportunities to expose themselves, exhibitionists, where part of the thrill for them is the other person's discomfort or panic or alarm or trauma response. And that's not okay. Okay right? That's not okay. Men move through the world actually threatening or because so many men are actually threatening, kind of being perceived as threats, which makes men doing this different than women doing this. I got to say though, she's safely contained on her balcony. She's not cornering anyone. No one has to watch. She's not masturbating on a bus And if it was a dude doing that, and some dudes do do that, I have been to Manhattan. I have seen similar things happening on balconies. Someone's on their own balcony. Someone's on their own fire escape. Someone's in their own apartment with the windows open. They have cornered no one. No one is trapped and no one is forced to watch. And once you clock what's going on, you can look away. I want to say, yeah, ethically, it's not okay, but I also want to... Follow that up or amend that with But what can you do? Some people are going to masturbate on their balconies. And part of the thrill for them is that they might be seen. And, you know, we have to share the world with all sorts of different kinds of people. And if you see somebody who isn't threatening you or cornering you, doing something that you don't particularly want to watch, you can look away. Yeah, you can be a little angry about that person, And their intent and their desire to be seen in that moment and to rope people in to observing them. And that's not consensual, but it's also not necessarily threatening the way she was conducting herself at that moment or likely to induce a panic response or a traumatic response in a viewer. You want to be pedantic about it? Yeah, if a dude was doing it, you would call the cops. So if a woman was doing it, you should probably call the cops too. But let's say you had called the cops. Do you really think they would have charged up 20 flights of stairs and kicked down her door and arrested her? The likelier outcome these days when people do these sorts of things, not on street corners, not on buses, not in places where they're cornering people, the likelier outcome is that someone's going to film it and put it on the internet. And that is either going to... Function as a kind of punishment, or that's going to give that person an even bigger thrill. Every now and again, I get questions that have me a little stumped, and that's when I need a second opinion.
5: Oh, oh, it's time for a second
3: opinion. Joining us for this second opinion. Lena Dune, bisexual submissive in a 24-7 DS relationship. You might know her by her frequent guest appearances right here on the Savage Lovecast or probably more likely by her Instagram handle at Sub, where she makes kink-centered memes and gives DS relationship advice. And she has recently launched her own podcast. Hey, Lena, how are you? Welcome back.
8: Hey, Dan. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited.
3: So you've been giving sex and relationship advice for a while. You do these epic Q&A sessions for your followers uh, in your Instagram story on on Friday nights. Now you're doing a podcast.
8: That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've decided to branch out from uh, the limited amount of things that you can say in a text paragraph on Instagram and going to use the art of my voice.
3: So uh, this puts me in the awkward position of wanting to have you on as a guest and share your expertise with my listeners about DS relationships, but also needing to have you killed (laughs) for starting a a rival (laughs) sex and relationship advice podcast. Like a lot of my, you know, a lot of my questions are DS and you're just going to swoop in and steal them.
8: (laughs) That's true. Well, you created this monster, Dan. I've always been really inspired by what you do and um, just wanting to, you know, follow in your footsteps. So if you <laughs> happen to turn around as I'm following and have me killed, that's totally understandable.
3: Well, maybe you'll overtake me. Others have. Welcome to the sex podcast, sex advice podcast racket. I listened to the first show. It is really really great. You're really good at it, which is why I kept having you back. Little did I know I was creating more competition and another monster.
8: (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Dan.
3: (laughs) So how long have you been on your BDSM journey and how did it start?
8: Oh God. Well, it's been, um, if I had to put numbers to it, it's definitely in the like six, seven year range. Um, I am still in my twenties, technically barely. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, it started when I was in a very, very long, dissatisfying vanilla relationship where nothing was technically wrong on the surface, but I always felt like I was longing for something else and I couldn't really put words to what that was. So I very messily opened that relationship and started having new experiences with other partners and very quickly put two and two together that what was missing for me was kink and submission and that caused a huge identity crisis right because like I'm a nice girl and I have this nice boyfriend and everything's technically fine but the sex wasn't there for me and so I really just sort of exploded that relationship to get out of it and um, then found my found my way into more formalized BDSM and it was like the biggest sigh of relief just to be like oh I can do these things and have all my needs met. And it doesn't make me a bad person. In fact, it's like better of me more ethical of me to be in a situation that's serving me better and not be bringing someone along for the ride that uh, doesn't necessarily want to be there.
3: I've made observation, or made this observation over the years, and it seems to sometimes, you know, roughly shake out. And, and I'm about to make a generalization about men and women, generalizing about 3.5 billion people and 3.5 billion people. There will be hundreds of millions of exceptions. The odds that the exceptions might be listening to this show are higher, right? It has been mm-hmm. my observation that a lot of male people arrive at their kinks early. That they arrive at partnered mm-hmm. sex with a really clear idea about their kinks, if they have any, because they started jacking off about them when they were 12. But a lot of mm-hmm. female persons, female-bodied persons, tend to arrive at their kinks later. And I've always sort of wondered – what was going on there is it the way women are socialized not to feel entitled to their own desires is it some way that female sexuality functions differently which is not to say it's deficient compared to male sexuality male sexuality is not the standard by which female sexuality should be assessed or judged and you you arrived at your kinks you know after a 5 year relationship after you got out there and began to experiment but you, were you fantasizing about dsx when you were 13 Or was this about peeling back layers and discovering something that had been repressed uh, or pushed down by slut-shaming in the culture and women not being encouraged to have sexual agency or explore or not masturbate? What was going on there? Why did you arrive in your 20s at what a lot of kinky sub-boys would arrive at in their (laughs) tweens?
8: Totally. Um, yeah, for just speaking for myself only, um, I think that there was a really strong mixture of factors. Like there were things that I definitely fantasized about, but it wasn't anything that I felt comfortable owning and talking about, um, to other people, primarily because I was raised in um, evangelical Christianity, which looking back on it gave me all the tools for for daddy play, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> the Jesus of it all, and the purity culture, and the you know the sex is evil, and da da da. So all of that definitely put a, a strong lid on my ability to peel peel back those layers and say what's underneath and what do I need. Um, and then, yeah, again, it's like I think that um and you speaking in really general terms, I think a lot of women are socialized to um not think of themselves primarily as sexual beings and look at relationships like there's a lot of things that we need out of them, and sex may not be at the top of that list. So when you are prioritizing sex and you come from a more mainstream background where where there's less sex positivity. You think that you're being selfish or, you know, you're just – you're focusing on the wrong parts of a relationship when other things are falling into place.
3: If you prioritize sex, you're a a sex-obsessed monster. Sex is trivial and you shouldn't prioritize Mm -hmm. it. You just prioritize everything else. But then sex is so important that you're not allowed to do it with anybody else. So this trivial thing you shouldn't take into consideration (laughs) when getting into a relationship. But if you're unhappy with this trivial thing in the relationship, oh, my God, then suddenly it's so important – that you can't yes. leave the relationship over it, which means it's trivial, but you also can't do it with anybody else to get those needs met because it's so important. That contradictory message makes my head explode. And I think it traps people in a lot of and, shitty relationships.
8: And you've said this before, you know, as an advice professional, you begin to see how many people are like marooned in these long relationships or marriages where their needs are not getting met. And you just wish you could give them a time machine to mm-hmm. go back and say, hey, sex is important. And I've learned that now you know, opening up a a question box on Instagram every week of people saying, Hey, I've been with my husband for five years. How do I tell him? I don't think he's going to take it. Well, that I'm a sub and I need him to be my dom now, you know? So like it is important. And and that's the thing that you want to shout from the rooftops to every single person is that you deserve to prioritize your pleasure because that's all there is you know in a relationship after you know a long time you have that companionship but then you also want to have that other way to connect that's more nonverbal right. and anyway people deserve it
3: people deserve it this is where people jump in and say Sex can't be the only thing that matters. And no, of course not. We're not saying prioritize (laughs) sex over all other considerations or or, or exclusive of all other considerations. It's alongside everything else that you Uh would prioritize, emotional compatibility, political compatibility. Will you take some questions with me to to prove to my listeners who aren't already listening to Ask Us Up what a good advice podcaster you are?
8: (laughs) I'm ready. Let's
3: do it. Here we go.
2: Hi, Dan. I listened to last week's show, which started out uh, with the woman saying that she received an erotic massage and she wanted to know if that was okay. And I kind of have the opposite problem. I'd like your advice on how to avoid becoming aroused during a massage. I am blissfully married for more than 30 years I don't want to cheat on my wife and having an orgasm on a massage table would feel like cheating to me uh, and to her as well. I live in a big city and it's amazing to me, it seems like every massage place you go into, they are massage therapists and sex workers as well. I've gone to a bunch of different places and very, very often their hands drift to where it's really borderline. Uh, I, I guess if you have the right method of communicating whether you want that or not, then it can work out okay. I find a lot of these women giving massages don't speak English very well. And also it's kind of awkward for me to like, say, you're getting too close or push their hand away or something that would be awful. I just want to relax and enjoy a massage. I'm also amazed at how many of my good friends who claim to be happily married think nothing of going to a massage parlor and getting a hand job as just something to do and a way to relax, and it doesn't even cross their mind that that might not be a cool thing to do if you're in a monogamous marriage. So what's the verdict, Dan? Do I need to give up taking massages or is there a way that i can make very clear that i'd like a massage and just a massage
3: all right this has a whiff of that famous onion headline why do all these homosexuals keep sucking my cock about it how <laughs> come i keep ending up getting hand jobs from all these massage therapists that i go to because i'm referred to them by friends who are getting hand jobs from these massage therapists how do i make it stop
8: if if you could see me, I'm pinching my nose bridge right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is like just a really classic case of somebody misinterpreting neutral cues as sexual advances, like, and and also misinterpreting his power in this situation as the customer in 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 these massage parlors. Like, he can just tell somebody don't touch me between my knees and my belly button or whatever area he considers to be borderline.
3: Absolutely. You can, you can, you could draw that boundary with a magic marker.
8: <laughs> exactly. Just like to draw a little dotted line around anywhere you don't want touched. but like feigning, oh, I'm so helpless in the face of these, you know, paid service professionals to not get a hand job. It's like, It's a little bit he's creating a a problem that doesn't doesn't exist. And, And you have to sort of ask the question of whether it's sort of fueled by misogyny, because, you know, if you're looking at these people like they're these, oh, they're these temptresses that are forcing me to break the bonds of my blissful, happy marriage then, you know, what other conclusions can you draw from that? And and casting yourself as the victim in that situation is just not, um, it, it doesn't
3: make sense. He asked how he can avoid getting aroused during these massages. And the answer is to jack off right before them if you need to. People do often mm-hmm. get aroused during massages. You know, you're getting a deep tissue massage or just a competent massage. You may be being touched in places that typically only someone that you're being intimate with sexually has touched you. And that is not Mm -hmm. a willed response arousal and a professional massage therapist knows not to take that personally and knows not to draw more attention to it by reaching for your dick. So (laughs) I, I would say to the caller, like we know a Jack shack when we see one versus a massage studio. And it sounds like you're going to Jack shacks where if you, don't want to be jacked off. You're going to need to opt out. Like Lena said, you're going to need to use your words. You're going to need to set that boundary and tell this person who probably be delighted and relieved that they don't have to jack you off <laughs> like everybody else that you don't want to be jacked off. How hard is that?
8: Just just talk to somebody. Just say some words to another person and, you know, that's that's the thing that people get so in their heads about, oh, it might be awkward and weird for me to tell the massage people a certain area I don't want massage like I get massages and I'll go in and I'll say hey like can you rub my scalp or you know my wrists my carpal tunnel area whatever and then they're like cool yeah and it it would be the same thing if this guy went in and was like hey don't like massage me in this other area I'd be like great I'll we'll do that i mean i think that people need to game things out like people won't think that they're weird more often and then that will get them uh I'll get them what they
3: want. All right. I'm going to highlight here a difference between my podcast and your podcast. Your podcast is hosted by someone who could get a massage uh, or does get massages. My podcast is hosted by someone who, if I had to get a massage, the boundary I would set with the massage therapist would be, don't touch me. (laughs) You could be in the room just like, don't touch me. I'm not comfortable getting massages. All right. let's, Let's have another question. Here we go.
9: Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth, 40 year old. This Pan Mail here from the Pacific Northwest. And I have a two part question about CBT. Um, my wife and I are, are super kinky, been in the BDM, BDSM space now for several years, and you'd probably have an easier time finding things that, that we are not into. Um, and recently, she has expressed quite a bit of excitement and interest around CBT, something that she's really into and has fantasized about for a while. Uh, we've played around with it a bit and I can definitely get into you know the stretching or pulling or smacking of the, the shaft. But when it comes to the actual uh, BT part of the CBT, my balls are just very sensitive and there's very little in the way of impact that I can sustain enjoyably. I don't think that's probably super uncommon. So I guess my, my two-part question is, Going down this rabbit hole a bit more, are there medical concerns that I need to be aware of um, if we are able to go further into the impact portion of ball play? Uh, Obviously, I I enjoy my my balls and don't want to do any serious permanent lasting harm to them. So what are the risks associated with that type of play and what sort of measures can be taken to mitigate those risks? Um And then the second part of my question is assuming that the risks are manageable and can be mitigated, are there things that I can do to desensitize myself or to allow for her to fulfill these kinks, which, which are really quite strong? She gets a huge amount of enjoyment out of this. And, and while it's never been something I've particularly fantasized about Seeing how aroused and excited she gets is definitely arousing for me, and, and I like that. But assuming that it's that it's medically safe to do, are there things that I can do to allow myself to uh, engage in in more intense impact play? And, and, and is that something I should even consider doing if those methods are available? I, I uh, want to be, you know, as GGG as, as I can, and I do enjoy... You know, definitely this conceptually, the idea of it, uh, I I find exciting and a turn-on. But the reality of it is just more than I can bear.
3: All right. This is maybe more of a challenge. Most of the people that you speak with uh, on Friday nights during your awesome Instagram story uh, Q&A sessions and now on your podcast are are women. Here's a dude. Mm -hmm. What's your advice for him about getting his balls smacked?
8: You know, um, I think that... When people call into an advice podcast, they are looking for a permission slip, you know, in either direction. Like, can I do this thing? Can I not do this thing? And when you listen to this question, it seems like he's looking for a medical out from something (laughs) that he maybe doesn't want to do. I mean, he says the reality of it is more than I can bear. And so when I project myself into, yeah, the people that would normally ask me questions on, on a Friday night... It's like, would I tell, like, a 25-year-old girl whose boyfriend wants to do heavy impact with her, oh, yeah, just figure out how to numb yourself and just push it to the limit? No, I wouldn't. And I don't think that that um, should be any different for a cis man who's in a long marriage. I think he's allowed to have limits with or without the medical concerns. Like, if his balls are too sensitive, I don't think he needs to push it.
3: What I don't understand about, they say they've been, you know, involved in BDSM scene for a very long time. Assuming the wife is a skilled top, right? Skilled sadist. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't she calibrate the amount of, you know, the, 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 The hardness of the impact to get the same desired effect. If there's one guy and you can punch him in the balls and it's going to hurt to a certain point, a desirable point, uh, you know, an erotic torment place as opposed to a rush to the emergency room place, you would punch that guy Mm -hmm. in the balls. If there's a guy who has much more sensitive balls, you just calibrate the smack to get the same Mm -hmm. effect but with a lighter touch. How is that Mm -hmm. hard? How is that difficult? And I would encourage the caller to maybe – go in with that expectation that she can make you writhe in agony with a little slap. She doesn't have to punch your nuts.
8: Exactly. And and it's so funny because this is, again, another commonality between bottoms, no matter, you know, who, what age or, or, or gender they are, um, is that we all feel, oh, I'm not hardcore enough. I need to push it harder. And I think that if um, you, most of the time if you have that conversation with your top or your dominant and you say, hey, like I, have a limit here. Are you still enjoying yourself? If you're not, like beating the crap out of me, and ninety nine percent of the time they're like, oh yeah, it's just about the experience and the the power and and yeah, sadism calibrates just like anything else. And responsible sadism wants you to be enjoying the pain, not pushing you to some extreme limit that you may or may not want to go to.
3: Sadism calibrates. It also goes to the same place again and again. You know, vanilla sex doesn't escalate endlessly you're not getting fucked deeper and deeper until the dick is coming out of the top of your head. (laughs) Like there's a certain amount of like going through, you know, repeating the same activities, motions uh, to achieve the same desired result and, and receive the same enjoyment from it. But sometimes people who are just getting into BDSM or have been into it for a while, will get into their heads that if they're not ever escalating, that they're not, you know, as far along in their kink journey as they could be. Otherwise or that, Maybe their partners expect them to be. And no, you can always enjoy and explore new things, but you can also kind of set things. Some of the things that you enjoy, you will enjoy over and over again in the same way and to the same intensity or degree. And that's fine.
8: It's totally fine. It's just kind of like that thing. It's that, you know, you can't step in the same river twice because you're never the same person. It's never the same river. It's very similar with kink. It's like you step into a scene and you do the same things as you did on a different day. And everybody's bringing in different energy. So it can stay fresh without the need to constantly escalate, 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 escalate. And you don't, you, you don't lose kink points. You're no less valid if it's like you're doing a light spanking every time or if you're just doing the limits of what you can tolerate in terms of cock and ball torture. You are equally valid and uh, you don't have to push it to the limit.
3: And uh, before we leave this caller, uh, I've written several columns about ball busting where I've talked to medical professionals about the risks, the health risks to ball busting, uh, you can Google that pretty easy, just savage love my name and ball busting and those columns will pop right up (laughs) and get the medical advice. All right, one more question for you, Lena. Here we go.
10: I'm a cis hetero woman in my mid-40s from the Pacific Northwest and I need your help with a situation that happened with my husband recently. So he works with his hands all day and often has scrapes and cuts that he treats before bed with a really thick medicated salve It almost smells like a really strong diaper rash cream or something similar. One night before bed, we were going to have sex, and I could smell the cream in the air and asked him if he had washed his hands with soap and water, as he was going to be touching sensitive parts of my body during sex, and I didn't want to get a rash or infection. He said he did. I asked him twice more to clarify, and twice more he said yes. I knew he hadn't washed his hands, and when confronted about his lie, he said he was just too lazy to tell me the truth and get out of bed. This just felt like a major betrayal of my consent to have sex with him that night. He says I was blowing things out of proportion, and it was understandable for him to tell a small lie if he was tired. This just feels totally unacceptable to me, Dan. I've had issues in the past around sex and consent with other partners, and he knows this. His indifference is troubling. Consent within a marriage still matters, and a lie is a lie, right? Lies from a partner about sex just feel particularly wrong. Any tips you have on how I can frame this differently in order for him to understand would be appreciated.
3: Let's get this out of the way. Obviously, consent within a marriage still matters.
10: Of course. Yeah, there's no point where consent
8: has an expiration date just because you've been in the same bed for a certain amount of time.
3: I think in a long-term relationship, uh, there can be a state of implied consent. The, the example I always use is I, I can come up behind my husband when he's washing dishes uh, and you know, put my hands on his ass and kiss the back of his neck. That might be well-received mm-hmm. in the moment, or he might say, he might shrug me off because not now, or he's not feeling it, and then I stop. But I couldn't walk up to somebody in the gym doing curls, <laughs> that I don't know, and pull the same move. That would be yeah. sexual assault, not sexual assault when I do that yeah. to my husband without asking because we exist in a state of kind of implied consent. Mm-hmm. Not implied, mm-hmm. like it's very explicit, like it's been explicitly obtained, but decades ago. And so I am allowed in, you know, to do that to him. A stranger off the street or a stranger at the gym can't do that to him, but I can so long as mm-hmm. when he withdraws his consent, I knock it off, Right.
8: Yeah. And, and that's, and because you guys have a long relationship, there's always a chance for renegotiation. If he changed his mind about, you know, being kissed from behind, then you could always talk about that because you have that reciprocal thing. And I think that's a little bit what's missing for the caller.
3: I just wanted to get in front of the the, the response that some people might have, like uh, consent matters within a marriage. Oh, I'm supposed to ask for permission. I can't just make a move. Mm. It's like, no, like, yeah, you can probably make a move. But this isn't a place where like the husband wanted to initiate sex and she tried to shut it down this is she asked him to wash his fucking hands and he couldn't be bothered because he was too tired but not too tired to have sex somehow, which requires much more effort than washing your fucking hands anyway i know
8: I- i'm talking too much Lena
3: what's your advice for this woman who was <laughs> assaulted by the hand creamed handed husband
8: I'm laughing it's not funny it's just we see so often these like moments of people just doing the absolute least. And then the caller or the advice seeker comes in and they're like, am I crazy for asking my husband to wash his hands? No, you're not crazy for asking your husband to wash his hands, like wash your hands. (laughs) But uh, I think like the real question in, in this situation is if you zoom in on the moment where she knows his hands are dirty and she's asking him over and over again, and he's lying to her and she knows he's lying to her, Like, there's such a lack of respect coming from him at that moment, and they need to really drill down on why she feels like she needs to go through with sex with him even though she knows he's lying about his dirty hands.
3: Yeah, there's something about calling this a consent violation that kind of takes it to DEFCON 1. And so the word I would apply to it was more of a consideration violation. Your husband's being inconsiderate Mm -hmm. and selfish in a way that communicates – if not contempt at least he doesn't care about your comfort your safety about what may seem to him a silly or arbitrary limit but not one that it's hard for him to hit to wash his fucking hands yeah and yeah I agree with you 100% Lena like if you thought he was lying you can not have sex in that moment you can
0: decide
3: (laughs) he doesn't get to touch your pussy with those greasy hands
8: yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, you're always talking, Dan, about the price of admission. Well, it's like not an unreasonable price of admission that someone wash their hands before touching your body. I don't care how long you've been married. Like, go wash your hands. But, yeah, there's definitely a conversation that has to happen about just like basic respect. Like, even though you've been married, even if you've had sex a thousand times, it's still a privilege for him to get to fuck you. So, like, wash your hands.
3: All right, Lena. I'm really sorry to say that I listened to your podcast and it's really good. And I'm a subscriber now and I hope other people subscribe (laughs) and listen to it too. But I hope you don't steal all the Dom sub questions from me because they are some of my favorites.
8: (laughs) Well, there will always be the cock and ball torture questions for you, Dan. (laughs) Don't worry.
3: (laughs) Uh, I want to give you a gift actually quickly before you go, because this comes up all the time. People have been throwing this at me for 30 years. What are your qualifications? And I always say, Uh and, and this, and You can have this. You don't have to quote me. I always tell them, if you look up advice in the dictionary, it says opinion about what could or should be done. The only qualification you need to give your opinion is somebody was dumb enough to ask you for it. People ask me, that's my qualification and yours too.
8: I love that. I'm going to emblazon that on my wall. Thank
7: you so much. And the fact that you get all these questions
3: every Friday and now you're getting questions through a podcast, that's confirmation, that you're good at this and people feel like your advice, your insight, your lived experience is valuable, all the qualification. You need.
8: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's just such an honor to get to give my opinion when people want it. So I'll just be out here doing that until the end of time.
3: <laughs> thank you so much. And, and congratulations uh, on on your success. Uh, your Tens of thousands of followers on Instagram uh, and now your podcast. Both are terrific. You're great on both platforms, on Instagram and now on your podcast. Congratulations.
8: Thank you, Dan. It's such an honor to be here on the Lovecast, and thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, more soon, I hope. Hey,
11: Dan. I am a bisexual woman living in our nation's capital. I started dating someone pretty fantastic about five months ago. We are both in our mid-30s, and I have a lot of
4: sexual experience.
11: He does not have as much sexual experience. Like I have experience with multiple our partners, both men and women. And I want to I guess make sure that he's having lots of fun uh with me and that, you know, as we continue to grow our relationship, that we continue to have lots of fun and explore. We are not into pornography for ethical reasons. We are just not interested. I'm not interested in as well. He's not so into it for ethical reasons. And he's not open to something poly or something open. So I guess my question is, how can we explore and try new things? Given sort of these limitations. I have encouraged him to listen to your show, but he has not. I don't know if he's taking me up on it. He usually listens to
3: sports podcasts. That's not a long list of limitations. You don't watch porn for ethical or other reasons, and you want to keep the relationship closed. You want to be monogamous. Okay. What else turns you on? Power play, bondage, cross dress Like what – there's a long list of things that two people can do together, enjoy together. so many different sort of sexual scenarios and kinks that two people who aren't interested in porn and aren't interested in fucking other people can explore. I, mean, I can't assign them to you. They have to come from – within you also you know somebody else's kinks you know they may like i I talk about this a lot somebody else rolls out a kink they ask you to try it and you quickly realize that it speaks to your erotic imagination too and it becomes your kink as well so it's not just about looking inside it's also about you know reacting to your partner and their turn-ons and you know i'm flying blind here you're asking me to take a shot in the dark i can assign you some of my kinks and you can see if they work for you. But that probably won't happen. They probably won't work for you because they're mine. So my response to you uh, is what do you want to do with him? I guess beyond the standard issue sexual off-the-rack activities that you're already engaged in with him. I assume you're having vaginal intercourse. I assume you're having oral sex. I assume that you've engaged in some Heavy petting, they used to call it. Mutual masturbation, rolling around. Okay, anal, light bondage, having sex, you know, in a semi-public place where you might get caught, going to a sex club, having sex in front of other people, even if you're not going to have sex with other people, having adventures. What would the adventures that you would like to go on with him, knowing what you know about yourself, knowing what you know about your turn-ons, what would they look like? Go do those things. You are in no way limited. The two things you cite as boxing you in to a point where there's, like, no move you can make, not true. Kind of bullshit. As limitations go, we don't watch porn and we're in a monogamous relationship, are not tremendously limiting limitations. There's a whole world of things out there for you two to explore together. But your foul-mouthed sex advice podcast host can't assign you those things. Read some erotica together. Don't watch porn. Read some erotica together. Share your fantasies. If you have a hard time opening up to someone about your fantasies, do it in an email or a DM exchange. It means you have to trust them with that evidence if the relationship goes south or if you break up. But sometimes it's easier for people to text with someone, even someone that they're in a relationship with, about their secret desires than to look them in the eye and tell them about them. So maybe that will work for you. Write him a long email. Ask him to do the same. Don't open the emails until you both have them. And then read and explore within the not-very-limiting limitations that you guys have set for yourselves. All right, before we get to listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Melinda May tweets, There are three things holding my soul together. Instant coffee, instant noodles— and the Savage Lovecast. I feel less alone with someone in my ear making me laugh. My sincere gratitude to the whole team. Thanks for keeping me sane and sexy. See you all at the next sack lunch. Thank you, Melinda. Thank you for the very sweet tweet, and thank you for being a Magnum subscriber and joining us at the sack lunches. Nini Tot tagged me in this tweet. My dude sent me a video of his whole asshole yesterday. And despite being GGG, I didn't know if I liked that. We used to call that area the place where the sun don't shine until digital cameras came along on all of our phones. Yeah, we could take pictures of our buttholes back before digital cameras and smartphones, but we couldn't share them because the creepy guys who worked at the photo developing places at the malls kept all of those photos for themselves. Now, of course, people can easily share their whole assholes with others, but as with dick pics, guys and gals, make sure someone wants to see that before you send it. Unsolicited asshole clips are just as presumptuous and just as problematic as unsolicited dick pics. Even someone who wants to see your whole asshole or your whole other hole wants to know you're considered enough to ask first. And finally, Garlic Top Knot tweets Hey, at Fake Dance Savage, please encourage your listeners to donate to Texas abortion funds. The six week ban that also puts a $10,000 bounty on the heads of anyone who supports or assists someone accessing an abortion has gone into effect. Hashtag Texans Deserve Better. Hashtag SCOTUS. Hashtag SB8. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. Yes, again. Please donate to an abortion fund in Texas. Terry and I have been making a monthly donation ourselves to an organization that helps poor women access abortion. We've been making that donation every month for almost 20 years. We are upping our monthly donation to help fight back in Texas. New York Magazine has a great list of 20 different funds that you can donate to on their website right now. Please go check it out. Please make a donation. All right. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, please be sure to include the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now listener response calls.
12: This is in response to the woman who called in after having a threesome with a married couple and found out after the fact that she had violated a boundary she wasn't even aware of. I'm surprised Dan didn't mention this, but at no point does the caller talk about having a conversation the three of them ahead of this threesome to establish consent and boundaries and set expectations. She says that she had a conversation with the husband and the husband had a conversation with the wife, but she never mentions if the three of them actually had a conversation ahead of this encounter. She also said that at one point the wife left the room and she asked the husband if they could continue on alone, to which he said yes. Uh, But as Dan has pointed out many times, boundaries and consent need to be established ahead of time, not in the heat of the moment or dickful thinking may take over. So caller, while I absolutely agree with Dan that you should continue seeking out those threesomes, be sure to establish these clear boundaries, expectations, and everything ahead of time so that you can avoid situations like this in the future.
13: Hi Dan, this is for the woman who is thinking about dating the man who had a sexual relationship with their therapist. I'm a psychologist and a licensed therapist, and I'm not sure that this should be a deal breaker. And hopefully this man knows this, too. As you and any other person who has been in therapy knows, the relationship between the therapist and the client is oftentimes the most intimate relationship that someone will experience in their life. Because of this, it's really common that clients will develop sexual feelings for the therapist. It's up to the therapist to use this in therapy and then help the patient grow, and it's also up to the therapist to maintain boundaries with their clients, which is why it's always a possibility that we could lose our licenses if we have a sexual relationship with our clients. I don't think this man should be experiencing any shame nor think of this as a deal breaker because I believe the fault lies with the therapist who has had all of the training and has been warned about sexual relationships with clients. So this is completely on the therapist and the woman should give this man some sympathy for sleeping with this therapist.
1: Hey, Dan, in response to your caller who oddly pickpocketed lover on his way out the door and found a used condom. Uh, the possibilities you brought up are right, but I think the most obvious one is something I used to do, especially when I was drinking heavily. That is, I couldn't come and thought that I should, so I faked my orgasm and then pulled the condom out and threw it in the trash before anybody could inspect it. That it was impossible I think that's a good possibility.
3: And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for me or a comment about this week's show? There are two ways to get them to us. You can use the voice memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com or you can call 206-302-2064 and record your question or There's a lot of humping going on this week. The Hump 2021 lineup is in Denver on September 8th and 9th at the Oriental Theater. And there's a new Hump's Greatest Hit streaming online starting this Friday, September 10th. And remember, the deadline for submitting your film for Hump 2022 is December 8th. To find out all you need to know about Hump happenings, making a film for Hump. Go to humpfilmfest.com. And I've got a new newsletter coming out each week, packed with Savage Lovecast news, my Savage Love Advice column, ticket giveaways to my events, and info on my whereabouts. Go to savage.love to sign up for that newsletter. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Lena Dune on Twitter at AskASub. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hertunian. And me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy, we will all be coming back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.